What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, Hoopside.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoopside podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest, Charlotte Hornets head coach Steve Clifford. We'll discuss his journey to becoming a head coach, working with Jeff and Stan Van Gundy, and uh, getting a chance to coach some of the league's top players like Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant. And now he gets the chance to coach LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller, some rising stars in the league. Coach, I appreciate you joining me on the line for the Hoopside podcast today. And um, for you, after playing college ball, you coached uh, after playing college basketball, you got to coach in college for about 15 years or so before you joined the New York Knicks. And I was curious, how did you make that jump to the NBA when you were starting out as a coach? No, I mean, it's a, it, uh, not by plan, you know, in, in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I never had the, the goal of making it to the NBA. Uh, but for me, what happened was when we were both high school coaches, I worked Jim Beheim's camp with Jeff Van Gundy. And as luck would have it for me, our our drill stations were right beside each other. So, you know, as the kids were rotating station to station, we started talking, you know, by the end of the week, you know, I had gotten to know him and we always stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, over the years, um, we had stayed in contact and I was an assistant at East Carolina University and he got an advanced, he had an advanced scouting position um, and just called me and said, do you want to try the NBA? So it was, uh, you know, obviously a career changing um, opportunity for me. And then uh, things just kind of worked out the way they have for me. And I mean, with Jeff, you guys have been together for a long time. I'm curious, what is the biggest thing that you learned from him as a coach um, while working with him? Uh, I mean, I, I think like all of it, to be honest with you, um, is, you know, having a total philosophy, uh, belief about every aspect of what you're doing. Um, you know, if, if true leadership is being able to set a, you know, clear and definitive, uh, direction and, and clarity in your vision of how every aspect of the program should be. Uh, I think that's his greatest strength. You know, Stan is the same way. They put a lot of thought into every aspect of coaching. Um, and I think that's what makes it, I knew working for them as assistants, you always knew what was expected. I think the players feel the same way. Um, and that's the biggest step towards getting everybody on the same page. And after going uh, with Jeff with the Knicks, you joined him in Houston and you got to coach Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady, two of my personal favorite players all time. But um, separately with Yao and and Tracy McGrady, um, what made them special players being around them day to day um, and any any behind the scenes story that you appreciated working with uh, both guys separately? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll start with Tracy. I mean, Tracy, obviously, we got him from Orlando where he had been. um, I think he had led the league in scoring twice. um, And he had, you know, an incredible skill level, right? The ability at his side to play off the dribble and pass, 
but he played very much for his teammates. Um, he had led the league in scoring, but I think that more than anything, he loved to pass the ball. And, and uh, he was a terrific pick and roll player, ISO player. I, and I would think I still would say that the the thing that was his biggest strength though was his basketball IQ, is coverages, uh, purposeful offense, having a real understanding of where the better matchups were, where his teammates needed to get the ball to play most effectively, is that's what set him apart. And uh, you know he was uh, always into. You know, what are we going to do against Kobe? What are we going to do against Dirk? Uh, you know, and uh, again, though, I mean, he just, he was a, you know, he was a basketball genius, you know, both in his decision-making and is his understanding and study of the NBA. For Yao, when we got there, uh, he'd only been in the league one year. And uh, as much as anything, you know, watching him was just how hard he worked in every aspect from weight room. Uh, you know, when, when he came back into his second year, he was still very thin. Uh, so, you know, teams went after him back then. The game was a lot more physical than it is now. And he worked so hard to get stronger, you know, really polish his low post game, his pick and roll game, uh, so that he could take advantage of his size and his touch and his instincts. Um, and, you know, again, I would say for both of those guys, when they walked in the gym every day, they had a plan. You know, they had a plan for themselves uh, and with the goal of obviously getting better. And, and they were, you know, obviously, I mean, superstar level players and great teammates. And then you couldn't get enough of the Van Gundy tree. So you join Stan Van Gundy and you go to Orlando and you guys – or part of a finals run with Dwight Howard. Um, Dwight obviously had a great uh, career. And, I mean, he's still trying to, you know, get back in. We'll see. But, Coach, one thing that surprised me personally, he didn't make the NBA's top 75 list all time. I was a little surprised by that personally. I'm, I'm curious, being around him on a consistent basis and given all the great players you've coached and, and the longevity you've had in the league, did it surprise you at all that that Dwight wasn't a an, an NBA top seventy five all time player on that list? Yeah, I mean he was, uh, I believe, uh, two time Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I think he was a four or five time All Star, uh, and I'm not sure how many times he was in the you know first, second, or third team All NBA, but. He obviously anchored our team when we won the East um, and lost to the Lakers in the final. And until he hurt his back, where he did have significant significant back surgery, he was a dominant inside presence in the league. You could say the dominating uh, inside player. Um, he was also very bright on the court. Uh, great screener um, when he was younger, which set up our pick and roll game. And great with coverages and every everything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, he played in a way. His intelligence on the court allowed him to take full advantage of his, you know, his gifted athleticism. Yeah, I think he overall probably was like an eight-time All-Star, three-time defensive player of the year, you know, after bouncing from Orlando too. But um, he, he also then after Orlando – 
you go to the Lakers and you were part of that team with Kobe, Steve Nash, Pau Gasol. Again, some of the league's top players, all Hall of Fame caliber players. Um, with Kobe in particular, I'll, I'll start there. What stood out to you about Kobe Bryant behind the scenes? And was there any particular story working with him that stood out from your time together? Yeah, I have a great Kobe. I mean, first of all, with Kobe, I would say just his passion uh, for the game. And Kobe, I believe that you were 32, uh, maybe 33. And I got hired on the staff with Mike Brown. And they had also hired Eddie Jordan to come in and put in the Princeton offense. So we got there in July at about the same time. And Kobe came to Eddie and said, uh, I want to make sure I know the offense before training camp starts. And this was uh, early August. And he said, I want to take the next three weeks and come in every morning before anybody else gets there. And I want you to walk me through the different concepts. So I used to go in and watch just because, you know, it's an opportunity to learn from one of the, you know, the all-time greats. So they would come either four or five days a week. I think they started at seven, would go to like 8.15. And, and they would do shooting drills or cutting drills out of the Princeton sets. And just to watch him, uh, his questions, uh, his level of intensity during an individual workout. And I would be a screener. You know, we had the video guys rebounding. Eddie would pass and explain to him. But it was amazing to me to see someone who, again, was already an all-time great, but wanted to know the offense. And the other guys, you know, were kind of uh, amazed, I think, when we started. He already knew all the counters, you know, where everybody else was learning the offense. He was, you know, weeks ahead of them because of the work that he had done. And, you know, the only other thing I would say about him, there's a lot of, about him, but, you know, he was always shocked to me when we lost because he had so much confidence in himself and his ability to impact his teammates. I truly believe he felt like we would win every game. Anything else stick to you about uh, Steve Nash and Pau Gasol? I mean, Nash obviously is a pick and roll player for years and a two-time MVP and Pau getting into the Hall of Fame. Anything stick out to you about those guys separately? Yeah, I would, you know, with Pau, just uh, again, an incredible skill set you know, for a man his size, his ability to pass the ball from the perimeter um, at an ISO game, he could be a screener, but his just decision-making and basketball IQ was so high. With Steve, you know, I, I think most of the great players, the way they, you can tell by the way they walk in the gym every day, what they, what they want to accomplish. Steve was maybe the only person that I've been around that would have a plan for himself and a plan for his teammates. I've never been around anybody else who thought as much about how he could help the team grow through messaging uh, like he did. Some days he would talk to the younger guys that weren't playing much. Some days it might be talking to Kobe, might be talking to Powell, Meta, Dwight. But he always seemed to me that on his drive in, he thought today, you know what, uh, Devin Evans isn't playing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be positive with him today. Give him hope, or I'm gonna talk to Kobe about this or Powell about this. And he was truly unique in that way. 
Uh, last one for me outside of the Hornets. You also got to be uh, with Brooklyn for a little bit during that trio when they had James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Um, arguably one of the greatest what-ifs in NBA history, I think, if they would have stood together. And obviously injuries hurt them a little bit in the playoffs with James and Kyrie. Um, when you were a part of that uh, that Nets team, I mean, in your mind, were you th- were you guys thinking championship? Because I think the whole league was pretty shook at that point, especially when you guys had gotten LaMarcus and Blake. And um, if, in your opinion, it is one of the greatest what-ifs in NBA history and what could have been with that trio? Well, the year before I got there, you'll remember, you know, they lost a seven-game series, uh, right, in overtime with Kevin hitting a jumper that, you know, right on the line. And that was with Kyrie being out, right, and James playing at less than 100%. So uh, they were close the year before. A lot of things happened the year that I was there, the, you know, vaccination issues with Kyrie, uh, you know, James came back and and uh, had to really work himself into shape because he had a significant hamstring injury the year before. Kevin got hurt during that year. Um, so, you know, I don't think that that year that group ever really got a chance to play together and find out, you know, how far they could go. You know, the one uh, experience there that I, I would say is, Having the chance to be around Kevin every day was also, you know, you know, a great learning experience. I mean, he too, he's about the team. He's a great teammate. He tries to help the younger players every day. And he's a great worker. Um, he's on top of everything. It's his game, he wants to know what's going on with the team. And I thought his leadership and his attitude and helping the young guys handle you know, we had a six or seven week stretch where we were playing without any of them. And I thought his just leadership and and whole whole uh, personality, uh, you know, he has a love of the game. You know, he's watching college games. He knows who the better high school players are. He's you know, he's a basketball junkie. Absolutely. Um, and now as, as you get ready for the new season ahead with Charlotte, one of the more intriguing players obviously you have on your roster is LaMelo Ball. Um, his size and what he could do with the basketball is very unique. When you look at LaMelo, now having a chance to have your hands on him for a little bit, what do you think could be his potential ceiling as a player? And is there any one or multiple players that he reminds you of with his skill set? Yeah, I mean, he's so unique in my time just because of what you said, size, speed, quickness, and then shot creation and shot making. Um, and he's also, he's he's a terrific worker, you know. He, he only got to play 36 games last year. He was coming off a significant injury, and he crushed it this summer. You know, he just got cleared. Uh, he's only been doing contact for about two and a half weeks. So we're being a little bit careful with him right now. But he was great this summer with his treatments, with his rehab, with what he did in the weight room and what he was able to do on the court. Uh, I think that obviously our vision for him is to be, you know, the 
the elite point guard in the league or one of the two or three best point guards in the league, which he obviously has the talent to do. He has the work ethic to do. And he, too, one of the things about him is if you've been around him, you can't not like him. He's like an upbeat guy. He's always in a good mood. He's great with his teammates. Uh, and he has a real passion and love for the game. I know it's hard because he is so unique. Is there is there anybody, though, that he he does remind you of at all with, with this combination of skills? Whether, whether it's a past or current player. I know you've yeah, been around I don't, a lot of guys. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I can, I'm trying to think of somebody at his size, speed, that can play in the open court and then also shoot with range like he can. And I really can't think of anybody that would come to mind. Um, you know, I, I think last year, for instance, there were only five guys that were efficient uh, shooting off the dribble from above the break. And he only played 36 games, but he's one of those guys. And if you watch him, when he does his routine, when he works out, he's great, great shooter. Another young pillar that you have to kind of build for this Hornets team is Brandon Miller. And um, another guy, similarly, he can do a lot of things with the ball at his size. He can shoot. Um, for Brandon, what do you think are realistic or fair expectations for him this year? And what type of player can he be long term? Well, he's, he, to me, can be a complete player. You know, he has size. He can play different positions. He can guard different positions. Uh, but he's more old school to me when I watch him play. You know, he has super high IQ. He's a terrific passer. And when the guys were all back here and started playing pickup in November, uh, in September, they all liked playing with him. You know, when it, it all makes sense when you watch him play. Is He's open if he shoots it. If not, he moves it. Uh, everything he does at both ends of the floor, if you're watching, you say that was the best decision. And you don't get that with, you know, a lot of the younger players anymore. To me, he's very unique in that way. So uh, he's fit in well. He's off to a good start. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's wise at this early, early juncture to start saying he can do this, he can do that. You certainly wouldn't put any limits on what type of player he can become because I don't think there's an aspect of the game that he can't be exceptional at. Uh, plus, he's a worker. You know, he comes from a great program. He's been coached hard. He's good in practice, and he fits in very well with the group. And speaking of fitting in with the group, you guys retained in the offseason P.J. Washington. You signed him uh, looking ahead. I'm curious, you have an interesting dynamic because you also brought back Miles Bridges as well. He came back on the qualifying offer. And we've seen what Miles can do when he's on the court for you guys. And you saw what P.J. Washington can do last year with an expanded role. So as you kind of wait for everything to play out with Miles and eventually, you know, if you have both players, I'm curious as a coach, how do you see that dynamic with both Miles Bridges and PJ Washington on the court? Whether it's do you see them playing together? Do you see one maybe kind of having more playing time than the other? Because obviously, 
contractually wise, it's it's a big year for Miles being uh, a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, well, I see them both. Uh, obviously, you want to have as many, you know, starting level players as you can, right? And so I see them uh, that they will both have major roles uh, playing big minutes. And then they can play together to me two ways, you know, uh, which they did, uh, you know, two years ago. You know, you have the ability to then downsize, you know, with Miles at the four and PJ at the five. But you can also play the other way with Miles at the three uh, and play bigger, you know, with a with a bigger set and PJ at the four. So they'll both be playing major minutes. Um, I think they complement each other well. Uh, and PJ's having a, a really good, you know, he had a big game the other night, but he's having a, a, a really good preseason. He's in a good place. And, you know, we need him to have a good year. Another guy I think you need to have a big year for you guys to get where you want to go ultimately is Gordon Hayward. Um, for Gordon, obviously health has always been important for him when he's on the floor. Really good a veteran guy, smart player, can do a lot of things. I'm curious what you've seen so far here through the preseason with Gordon and same thing for him personally, a big year for him in a contract year. What are your expectations for Gordon Hayward this year in a Hornets Jersey? Yeah, he looks great. And this is the first time Mike, since Gordon's been here in Charlotte that he wasn't rehabbing in the summer. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's a great worker. He's very professional. And, you know, he came back here in camp in great shape, totally on top of his game and feeling good. And I think he, too, is in a really good place, again, because I think this summer was all about, uh, you know, just working on his game versus rehabbing all the time. So uh, I think he feels good. He's played very well. He had a small, small ankle injury, foot injury that he got in Miami in our first preseason game. So he didn't play the last two, but hopefully, you know, we have Boston in here Thursday and we're hoping he'll be back for that. You know, in terms of this team, the collection of talent, I think you've touched on it a little bit that it's one of the more talented teams you've coached in in Charlotte during your tenure. What, in your opinion, you know, leads you to believe that? Because it's it's a young roster at that mostly, you know, obviously uh, exception for Gordon a little bit as a veteran guy and Terry Rozier and a few others, but it's mostly a young roster. Yeah, I mean, that that's what I would say. I think we have uh, talent. Um, I think we have different ways that we can play. Um, and I think that, as you know, to win consistently, you've got to be balanced. And I think we can become, uh, grow into a team that's good offensively, good defensively, and rebounds the ball well. You know, we have two... Uh, younger centers uh, who are athletic, they can move their feet. Um, they allow us to be aggressive and pick and roll coverages. Plus, they can run the floor. Um, so that's a big part of it. And, you know, when we played the two of them together last year, we had a stretch of, I think it was 18 games where we were second in defense. Uh, we had a stretch of games last year before Melo got hurt where we had been top eight in offense, I believe, over the last 10 games he played. So 
you know, last year was a difficult year, uh, and yet we did make good progress, and I'm hoping that we can build on that. You touched on the two young centers real quick. I want to ask you about Mark Williams in particular. I liked him when he was in Duke. Um, to me, it gave me a little bit of Tyson Chandler vibes with the way he would maybe tap a ball out, try to control the glass and patrol the paint. When you look at Mark Williams, for people that don't know Mark, two things. What do you think um, he can take that next vote? What about his game do you think he can take that next step forward this year? And uh, is there anybody he reminds you of as well? I, I think Tyson is a good one with Mark. You know, I think that uh, so for right now, today, he had a or he did everything he could in the offseason. He had a setback in that he had a, he had a minor, uh, you know, thumb procedure, which kept him from being able to do contact uh and he had to do everything with a cast in his right hand for i mean a good portion of the off season so he's a little bit behind in conditioning not not because of not through any fault of his own and he played a lot better uh against oklahoma city than he did in the first two games but he is obviously big and he can move and he's very smart so what he gives our team at the defensive end of the floor, I think everybody thinks rim protection, but he's also, he's a very good pick and roll player. Um, we can be aggressive with both he and Nick Richards. They can move their feet. They can play out away from the basket defensively. Uh, and then the big key for him offensively, the biggest key is running the floor, screening, rolling, uh, and eventually, he'll be a three-point shooter. I don't have any question about that. I don't know if it'll be here early in the year. This is where the thumb injury set him back a little bit. But, uh, you know, he's a lot more instinctive offensively than I realized when we first got him. When you take all of that and you put it together and you look at this Hornets team, in your opinion, I'm going to ask you, what do you think are fair expectations for this team? Is it um, try to make the play-in, playoffs? Like what, what, in your opinion, are fair expectations for the Charlotte well, Hornets team? Yeah, I, I mean, I think our goal here, if you talk to our guys, is we want to be a playoff team, regardless of how we get there. Um, and uh, particularly when we get Miles back, uh, I think, again, we will have depth. Uh, we have a lot of different ways that we can play. Again, we have ver we have a roster that's versatile. Um, and the whole thing to me is how we grow together. You know, we may not be, you know, a top six team right here today, but we have guys that are working. Um, we've made good strides here in this two weeks since uh, practice has started, and we need to continue to practice and work that way. Speaking of coach, I know you got to get ready to probably do some film study and get ready with the guys. It's early in Charlotte. I appreciate you taking some time out to join me here on the Hoops High podcast, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it. You got it, brother. Also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches like Steve Clifford, executives and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on at Mike A. Scotto and 
make sure that you're following the Charlotte Hornets as well on social media. Uh, Coach Clifford does not have social media. He's too busy drawing up plays and living <laughs> in the real world. Um, until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scott, wishing you and yours all the best. <laughs>